Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode six of Bible and Breakfast with Basketball Dads. I'm really excited to have Dale Lair with us today. Uh, Coach Lair has been a good friend of mine, a mentor, uh, someone who I've been able to, to bounce some things off of over my coaching journey. And um, he's had quite the journey himself, but an awesome, an awesome guy. And I'm really excited to, to have you here with us today, Coach. Thank you very much. Uh, pleasure to be here. <laughs> awesome. So, uh, well, before we get into a couple of questions, I was wondering if you would be willing to to share a little bit with our listeners, um, maybe something that God's been challenging you with lately, um, whether, you know, that's a verse or a thought, but just something that uh, he's been working on your heart recently with. Yeah, it's a crazy uh, moment of time. Um, we had a uh, Zoom call with a couple of uh, most of our players and coaches and, um, you know, trying to hash out some of the stuff that's been going on and trying to make some sense of it. And uh, I've just uh, in the midst of all this kind of been spending a little bit more time in prayer and uh, just trying to kind of set my heart to where God is in prayer. Like Isaiah six talks about, you know, the, where God is and the, um, the train of his robe fills uh the court and there's the uh, heavenly host on every side of him and he's on his throne and his glory and his majesty is evident to everybody. And so I, I try to dwell on that a little bit and like, this is where God is. This is, uh, it's not just a flippant, God help me here. I do a lot of that. Uh, God, you know, be with me as I speak or talk or be, uh, opportunity to coach yeah, there's a lot of that, but uh, I think the mindset of, you know, God is the God of all grace, the God of all mercy. He's uh, the present help of uh, in our time of trouble where we're, we need his presence with us. He is on his throne. He rules all things. And I think when you approach the throne that way in prayer, it kind of sets my heart, recalibrates it in the right way to say, okay, this is this is the real thing that's going on. All this other stuff is periphery. This is where I need to be in God's presence and before I go into prayer. And that's kind of where it all emanates from. Yeah, no, that's great. And I think obviously with things being so crazy the last couple of weeks and really the last couple of months, I know for me, you just, you mentioned prayer and talking about setting our hearts on God and putting our eyes on God. You know, you can't do that without prayer. And it just it just changes your whole perspective, because I know for me, if I'm if I'm not living a life of prayer, maybe I go a couple of days where I'm just not not communicating with God. It, it really discourages me. And so just being able to to understand who he is and understand that he's working and understand that that our communication with him through prayer is so powerful. And we can, you know, we can uh, help our own hearts and others hearts with that. So thanks for sharing that, Coach. Really appreciate that. Sure. Um, wanted to ask you a little bit um, about your journey in coaching. I know you've been a lot of places. You've, you've had a great journey, but more specifically, kind of how you've handled, uh, you know, moving across the country, job to job with your family, you know, as a dad, as a husband, how have you uh, handled your coaching journey? So if you just kind of just want to take us along that a little bit and maybe share some things that uh, some issues that have maybe popped up with your family and how you've, how you've handled being going through that. Yeah, that's a, a good question. Uh, when I joined this profession in 1980, I know way before you were born, Andrew, um, it was uh, 
a different profession. It, it was, you know, the, the norm was be at a university or college for 20 years and then you might move. Uh, it was more of the long term, less money was involved for ESPN and sponsorships and uh, CBS television contracts with, with uh, the final four and uh, March madness. It, it was, um, you know, a, a coach was really kind of part of the faculty. It was, I know that seems like, you know, back in the biblical age uh, to you uh, back when Moses lived, but um, <laughs> that's kind of the way it was. That's kind of how coaching evolved. And across the country, there were typically guys who had been there 15, 20 years. And um, so in the middle of all of that money kind of exploded things and, uh, I, I was a division two head coach at Queens university of Charlotte, been there 10 years, thought I'd be there another 20 years. Um, one of my, uh, ex assistants had gone on Richie McKay, who's a head coach at Liberty. Now uh, he got the head coach at Colorado state and, uh, he, uh, offered me a job and I said, wow, this, this may be my only opportunity to go division one. So we moved uh wife, three kids from Charlotte where, we had been for 10 years, went to Colorado State in Fort Collins, Colorado, and uh, cross-country journey. We'd never been that far west. Um, and then after 18 months, coach took another job at Oregon State. And I go, oh, my goodness, what's going on? My wife said, I didn't, I didn't bargain for this. What in the world? <laughs> so they, uh, the Final Four was at Indianapolis that year. They uh, I had people praying for me and uh, – the um, the committee, uh, the AD at Colorado State, Tim Weiser, who's now with Big 12, um, he brought three of his uh, committee members to the Final Four, and they interviewed guys for the job. They interviewed 27. I was the 27th. They had uh, all day. They hadn't eaten in five hours. They finally got to me, and they said, let's don't talk to this guy. Let's just eat and uh, talk while we were we – were, uh, eating and we knew one another. So it kind of helped, but um, it went from that in uh, 24 days, 27 applicants. They brought two to campus. Uh, finally, I got the job and uh, it was just an answer to prayer. It was just God opened that door for us. And so I was so thankful to be able to keep my family there and not have to move them again. And it was a, uh, um, so we were there uh, nine years in Fort Collins, Colorado. So it was a unbelievable opportunity. Then went to uh, back to uh, to Liberty. Went to Marquette. Back to Liberty as a head coach. So we bounced around a lot. But my family, my three kids, really grew up in Charlotte and in Fort Collins for the most part. My my youngest uh, was in Virginia for his high school years. But that's against the norm now you now it's you know every three years you're on the move every four years you're looking for another job either you get fired or you get a better job or you're you're trying to move up the ladder and it's hard on families it's um when kids are involved it's uh it's way more difficult if it's just me it's like okay i you you you're you're doing okay or if it's just you and your wife you can survive it but kids is traumatic and uh yeah so we've uh had to deal with a lot of that. My daughter, who's now got two kids of her own, she didn't talk to me for 30 days after I moved to Colorado. And 
Uh-huh. It was just, uh, she was just mad. And uh, it was something you had to deal with and talk, talk it out with her. And, um, but that's kind of what, what comes with our profession at times. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm, I'm, as my girls get older, cause now we have a, a five and a seven year old. And even, mm-hmm. you know, when my wife and I were married, just us two, it wasn't a really big deal to move. Even when the girls were, you know, before they were in school, wasn't a really a big deal. But now that they're starting to make friends, getting in school, you know, I'm starting to look, look forward and being like, man, they, you know, they don't want to be moving every couple of years or, um, and I'm just trying to, you know, figure out how to navigate that as a father and as a husband. And uh, obviously, you know, you love being in one place for a few years, but I uh, appreciate you sharing that, that journey with us, coach. And I think it was at Marquette when I first met you, uh, when I was working basketball camps at Marquette and then have been able to follow your journey, you know, to, to Liberty and, uh, Texas and you've just been, um, awesome, but I was wondering, you know, you were, you know, you went from being a, an assistant for, you went from a head coach to an assistant, and then you went back to being a head coach and now you're back to in a, an assistant role. And I was wondering what kind of things as a head coach, have you learned or experienced that have helped you be a better assistant coach? Not to bug the head coach. <laughs> you know, it, it's, uh, we have a large staff at uh, Texas A&M and, and, uh, you know, you think about if, if, if everybody had to get uh, 10 minutes of Buzz Williams's ear in the course of a day, that's about three hours. It, it's, it's too much. Um, I, I, I really uh, – I, I communicate with him rarely in person, uh, even though we see each other every day. And I've known him – uh, for 20 years, he was my assistant for four years. Uh, I've worked with him at four different institutions. Yeah. I was there when uh, his two oldest kids were born, at the day they were born um, in the hospital. So we have that kind of a relationship, but he's got too many people pulling at him. And, and to, I think sometimes assistants just want to say something. No, it's, it's better not to. It, I, I told my assistants one time, when I was kind of full of all of the knowledge, I said, you all get together and come up with the best idea of you three and then tell it to me rather than all three of you give me your ideas. And, and it was not probably the right thing to say, nor in the right tone of voice, but it really, you, you have boosters and ADs and media and the players and players, families and assistant coaches and SIDs and all these people that need time with a head coach. And when you're an assistant, you don't you don't recognize that. You just see your world as it relates to the head coach. And so I'm very judicious in what I say to Coach Buzz. Uh, I, I, he likes to text more than talk, so he can answer it in, in his time, which is perfect. And um, so it's my job to understand the ebb and flow of his daily world and how I can get into it just enough to help him but not too much to hurt him. And it's, uh, I think when you're a head coach, you kind of have a little different perspective uh, because uh, you don't, as an assistant, you don't see all of that. I, I, I try to connect with first year head coaches around the country that I know and send them stuff and encourage them. And they go, I had no idea I was getting into this, man. I had no idea it was like this. I thought I had all the answers. Now I don't even have time to think about the answers. And, so that's kind of part of it. So I try to make sure that I'm, oh, I, I handle that the right way as it relates to Buzz. Help him where I can, give him, take stuff off of his plate, 
don't give him more stuff than he needs because he's got enough already and uh, just try to help him in, in, in little moments of opportunities. Sure. Yeah. Is, is that something you think, you know, when you say take things off his plate and help him, you know, when he needs it, is that something you feel you've, you can kind of just tell when he needs something because you've been through it as a head coach or has, have you and him had conversations where, you know, he's told you, Hey Dale, I, I need this done at these times, or is it, you know, you, you kind of feel that out or how does that approach work? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I think it's it's you, you just you try to get ahead of where you think buzz is. How can I look ahead two weeks? How can I look ahead a month so I can be prepared to help buzz when he gets there? I've already mentally been there, kind of got what he needs to help him lined up so that when he gets to that point, he's ready quicker rather than me be behind Buzz. And it's really, I'm always behind Buzz. Everybody's behind Buzz uh, because he's such a forward thinker. He's so smart. He's so well planned out. He's so organized. But if there's things that I see coming that I can prepare myself for, then I can help prepare him. It buys him a little bit of time. It, it gains him a little bit of a track of traction before he even walks into that uh, situation. So that's what I try to do. Look ahead, uh, be prepared ahead, uh, prepare him. We, even when he knows, doesn't even know I'm working on things that I'm uh, helping him when he gets there, that he's a little bit better uh, because of it. Definitely. Definitely. Um, if, if you were to, you know, obviously there's advice you could give to coaches in general, um, but what advice you've, you've kind of seen the whole spectrum of college basketball. You've seen, you know, small college, you've seen a Christian university, you've seen secular universities, a Christian coach, a young Christian coach getting into the business. What kind of advice would you give him um, or her as they were entering in just to, you know, stay established in their faith? Uh, you know, there's so many coaches who th their desire is the next job. Um, and, and I get that. And that's got to be kind of part of our mindset. But I think people don't appreciate how good a job that they have in this profession, no matter where it is. What, what can they do to serve, to encourage their head coach, their players? How can they lock in with those people and those relationships It brings value, brings encouragement, brings uh, the light of Christ into all those situations, because that's really what you want to do is spread light, spread God's word. Uh, and it may be a, a little connection with this guy or that gal, whatever it may be. It may be how you bring energy, how you bring passion, uh, how you communicate, how you put others first, how you try to love people. You, you, none of us do it perfectly. None of us do it uh, as great as we think that we should, but, God wants to use us right here, right, right now, whether it's uh, sweeping the floor, whether it's doing the laundry, whether it's uh, driving the bus, all the things that I had to do as a small college coach that people say, well, gosh, I was in the G League and they were the assistant coaches with the Hornets were saying, well, don't you hate to travel? Don't, man, could you all those connecting flights and getting up early? And I said, dude, I, I used to drive the bus. It's, it's we're <laughs> yeah. flying, me walking, we're, we're, we're going to be okay. So it's your perspective of where you are and, and how don't lose sight of 
the fact that God can use you in a manager's life, in a trainer's life, in a player's life, in the last player's life. And, and I think some of our opportunities are how do we minister, encourage the worst players on the team, not just the best ones, the best ones everybody wants to connect with and talk to. How, how can we encourage those who are on the bottom of our roster and uh, guys who may need more help and encouragement than those who get all the accolades and get all the attention? Yeah. And as you say that, I'm, I'm just reminded of, you know, how Jesus handled, you know, he, he didn't just go to the best of the best. He, you know, he worked with people who were struggling with health, with um, doing things the wrong way. And he just, he served and it didn't matter what the job was. He served. And I think that's great advice, coach. Um, I really appreciate you being with us today, coach. And I appreciate, you know, all that you've uh, encouraged me with over the last few years and look forward to uh, watching you guys succeed this season up at down in Texas A&M. And, I uh, appreciate you being with us. Thank you, Andrew. Appreciate what you're doing. And uh, it's awesome to reconnect. God bless Thanks. you, my friend. Thanks, Coach. Yes, sir.